everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. This is me coming to you today from a very quiet room I found in, uh, in the church building I'm at. I found a nice quiet room. I've got a nice strong cup of black coffee. And I opened up God's Word. And I'm in Luke chapter 8 today. And uh, usually I record this class that I teach. And uh, there is no class this week. So I thought, well, you know, people are still going to be traveling and there might be individuals that would still like to listen to an episode of this podcast. And, well, you could have it on the car speakers as you're driving uh, to your, your family uh, Thanksgiving gatherings. But we're in Luke chapter 8. And this passage was just brought to mind to be able to share with you uh, this Thanksgiving. So uh, starting in verse 26, it's a rather well-known passage. And it has... Uh, all the elements to it. It's it's definitely got the horror element. It's got the the reconciliation element. It, it's got a lot to it. There's parts of it that are legitimately creepy, and um, and there's parts of it that are actually evidently heartwarming as well. So let me open up the word of prayer. God, I thank you for this time to be able to open up God's word and just to be able to Lord to find find a challenge and an encouragement here, Lord. And I just pray that this time would be glorifying to uh, to your name and would be edifying to these listeners. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in verse 26, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. All right, so stop there for a second. How creepy is that? I mean, I've ridden on boats before, and especially when we're coming up to a dock. I usually get motion sick when it comes to boats. I am just not a fan of the, the, the pitch and the yaw of the waves, that kind of stuff, and the rolling, and oh my goodness. So when you get to the shore, it's like, all right, I'm ready to get off. And so I don't think Jesus is that way here. Jesus is usually pretty calm on a boat. In fact, there's another lesson we talked about. He literally fell asleep in the middle of the storm. But Jesus literally steps ashore, and he's met by a demon-possessed man. It's as if this guy, the, the demons in this guy, was looking for a confrontation, this great showdown. And um, here he is. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house. Okay, so evidently a naked demon-possessed man. My goodness. But had lived in the, in the tombs. Wow, that guy is just, he's out there. And he's naked. He's probably dirty. He's uh, living in, uh, in tombs. Wow. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. With Luke here, it's almost like an afterthought. There's no great, you know, in this corner is Jesus, in this other corner is the bunch of demons, and here we go, who's going to win this fight? No, for, for Luke, it was just an afterthought. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. So when Jesus commands, there is no arguing. There is no wait a minute, or hold on a second, or no, or how dare you, or no. Jesus commands and the demons obey. They know who the boss is. They know who God is. They know who's in control and who's sovereign. Jesus has simply commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it has seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he, was broken, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Wow. We're not told how 
this evil presence had entered this man. You know, Luke paints the image that he's a demon-possessed man, and evidently in this time period, uh, demons were known to uh, just come into individuals and possess them. And and one of the major parts of Jesus' ministry is to to show sovereignty and power even over the demonic realm. And a major part of his ministry was 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 healing people and also driving demons from people. And here's an instance where this guy has been rendered deserted and alone. He had a life that we can only imagine what this guy was going through. We like to imagine, you know, when 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 he approached Jesus, we like to think, oh, maybe the the human inside of this guy was longing for hope, and so here's the answer, so I'm going to go to him. The other side, or maybe the demons are just looking for a fight. I don't know. But here he is deserted and alone. He's discouraged to a community. Could you imagine living by this guy? Could you imagine uh, the things you could tell your children as you hear this guy's howls out in the distance? Hey, you better behave or you're going to be like that guy one day. Hey, don't go near the tombs, kids, because there's that guy over there. Could you imagine the the arms and length people kept this man? Could you imagine the kind of life he had? My goodness. Here he is, deserted and alone. Jesus shows up on the scene and everything changes. You see, that's the way it always is with Jesus. Jesus is unique. And he needs to be treated as if he's unique. He comes onto the scene and immediately everything comes everything was 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 still it seemed like all of a sudden now it's not anymore. Jesus asked him, what's your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. So evidently, Jesus has already cast them out, and so Jesus is now, you know, talking to them. Okay. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind. I love how Luke just points that out. Because it would have been obvious at that point. Yeah, the the naked crazy guy that lived out in the tombs that broke every chain that people dared to put on him. He was uh, sitting down and he had clothes on and he wasn't, you know, insane anymore. Wow, he's in his right mind. Wow. And then catch this. They saw all this and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone and begged to go with him, but Jesus, excuse me, the man from whom the demons had gone out, he begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell much God, how, tell much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Wow. So we get this guy deserted and alone, and uh, Jesus shows up. The whole, he shows his power, and the whole, the whole incident just goes viral. And um, wow. And this man is drastically changed. You see, all attention at that point turns to Jesus. 
He's the man is uh, the attention is no longer on him. The man is seated and dressed and and, and quiet, sitting at Jesus' feet like he was a disciple. And of course, the townspeople turn to Jesus as well in anger. So I've got three questions here. Number one, how are you like that man? And before you get all offended, oh my goodness, come on. Some dirty, insane, chained up, demon-possessed guy. So messed up, he's having to live on the outskirts of town in a cemetery. I mean, seriously? Me? I, how could you ask that? It's a fair question. It's a fair question. But think about it. What is your gravest need? Do you ever feel alone? What solitary places have you been driven to? Your pain, your loneliness, your despair. Maybe you're dealing with unemployment. Maybe you're dealing with infertility, a sickness that won't go away. Maybe you have family drama, family strife. Maybe you ask this kind of question, what has my life become? Maybe you ask things like, well, how did I get here? What can I possibly do? Is there any hope? In fact, maybe just like this demon guy here, demon-possessed guy, maybe you just want to be left alone to live life on your own terms. I just want a quiet life. Just leave me alone. Just stop bugging me. And yet, this guy doesn't seem happy. It seemed like his life was just the worst it could possibly get. How are you like that man? You may not feel like, oh, geez, I'm not, I'm not all that. But you have to face yourself before you go to bed at night as your head hits the pillow and as your thoughts are processing as you overlook your day and you plan for the day ahead and maybe at that time you, you are if you are anxious you are most anxious maybe you wake up in the middle of the night and you're wanting to pace the room you begin to ponder about your life and maybe some of these big unanswered questions are there and you find yourself in that solitary place inside your soul yet again. Kind of like a metaphorical place. For this guy here, it was literally in the tombs. But inside of you, when everything is quiet, when everyone else is asleep, when, when, when all, the, all the, the hustle and bustle is gone, and you're left with just your thoughts, are you a little bit more like that man than you care to admit? You're wondering about, boy, how did I get here? Am I happy? How broken am I? Why do I keep going through this? Is there an answer to my deepest need? Hmm. Second question. How is Jesus your answer? You know, I'll never forget when um, my, my wife and I, we had, one of our children was just really sick. And, and uh, there's something about when you finally go to the doctor 
And you know, everyone goes online, okay, I have these symptoms, I have those symptoms, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at that. Oh my gosh, they have this and they have that, and what are we gonna do? And when you finally go to the doctor, and you find out that the calming presence of a physician to be able to say, hold on, this is what's going on. It's not as bad as you think, it's this. We'll prescribe a medicine, go fill it, and everything will go away, you just gotta give it time. Or when your car is making that noise and everyone has their theory about it, but you finally get to see a mechanic. And the mechanic says, just hold on. Just hold on. This is what's going on here. I've seen it a thousand times. This is what it is. And we'll, just, we'll do the repairs and everything will be okay. You see, there's a comforting presence about somebody who knows what, what they're talking about. And for Jesus here, he's going to be that comforting presence for this man. Jesus is going to do the, the, the hard thing here. And uh, he's not going to make the demons happy, of course, but he's going to do these things. He's going to provide for this man's deepest need, his immediate need. He's going to reconcile this man to the people in his life. So how is Jesus your answer? Your deepest need, the Bible is clear that we are sinners and that the wages of sin is death. The paycheck we earn for our sins is death. Your deep, deepest need is that your sin has caused you to not to, to be separated from God. Adam and Eve felt this. And they got kicked out of the garden after their sin. You need to be reconciled with an almighty God who sent Jesus to take your place and die the penalty, take the penalty and die the death that you deserve. And once you're reconciled to God, be reconciled to one another. Maybe your deepest need is that you are broken in your, in your friendships, in your families, in your relationships. There's someone in your life that you're broken with and that only Jesus can provide that healing, that reconciliation. So how are you like that, man? How is Jesus your answer? If you're sitting here and, and you're listening to, to the sound of my voice right now and, and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you've never admitted that you're a sinner, you've, you've trusted in Jesus, Jesus alone for your salvation, and you've, you've confessed your sins and committed your life to him, I invite you to do so right now. But maybe you have, and maybe you still feel like you're driven to lonely, solitary places. Trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. Trust him to deliver you. Question three. Are you more like the man or like the town? My goodness. I, another way to put that question is, hey, in this story, who gets loud and who gets quiet? Beginning of the story, this man was just going crazy. He was out there in his loud, boisterous thing, and everyone was afraid of him, and nobody wants to go by this guy, and, and he was just the, 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 the talk of the town, and he was just everyone's gossip and all that kind of stuff. And here he is dealing with all these things, and chains are broken, and all. And he just, he just, you just wouldn't want to be around this guy. And then by the end of the story, he's quiet. He's quiet. He's seated at the feet of Jesus, and he's just quiet. And by the end of the story, the, the, the town, which was just minding its own business and trying to make their way amidst this, this crazy guy, now they're going crazy themselves. And get out of here, Jesus. And we can't, we're afraid. We, we can't take that. It'd be kind of like um, if you were... Uh, well, we've all been there where, where you've, you've been on a plane, you're trying to take a flight somewhere, and there's that one young family, that poor young mother who's dealing with a really, really um, fussy kid, a baby. And you might roll your eyes and go, oh, geez, this flight's going to have a baby. I wonder what that baby's going to do. 
And then I get it. Just like this, 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 this demon-possessed man could hold, could hold that whole countryside hostage. A, a, a very uh, fussy, crying baby is, could hold a whole plane hostage with the sound. And um, yeah, maybe you're just sitting there on that plane as that baby just keeps crying and crying and crying. You're just like, I'd give anything for that baby to shut up. Oh man, can't that mom get that baby to be quiet? My goodness, what can we do? And you're tempted to buy the headphones they tried to sell you at the very beginning to get this baby's noise out of your head, and you would just give anything. Oh man, I just want some peace. This baby, man, my goodness. Now imagine the person sitting next to you in the plane all of a sudden gets up, walks over to where the mother is, is trying to get this baby to quiet down, and all of a sudden waves his hand like a Jedi and the baby instantly gets quiet and falls asleep and is snoring contentedly. And then that person comes back and sits next to you again. And you watched it all happen. What would your response be? Now, if you're like me, you'd be going, whoa, so what'd you do? Wow, that was awesome. Tell me more. But maybe you'd be more like the town here. Maybe that would just be like, oh, that was really weird. That was a little bit too supernatural for my taste. Thank you very much. I'm going to see if I can change seats with somebody and maybe get away from this guy. Because, my goodness, I don't know why the town freaked out here. Now, I get it. Jesus, you know, for all the, the pig farmers, he kind of wrecked their economy because all the pigs went into the water but and drowned. But, I mean, I, I get how they'd be upset and angry. But fear? You know, sometimes when God comes, in, comes into our life and shows himself as powerful, we don't know how to deal with that. And it causes us to, I don't know, do we get afraid? God, if you get closer to me, you're going to see how messed up I am. And um, I don't know, maybe you'll reject me or maybe you'll, you'll try to hurt me, God. I don't know. I'm afraid of you getting too close to me. Because these people were so afraid of Jesus. In fact, the text says they were overcome with fear. And they had seen what he had done. They had seen the guy get healed and cured, and it's a completely different guy. And it caused them to be afraid. I invite you to ponder that in your mind for a while. Why, why were they afraid? What was it about them that seeing this miracle, they were overcome with fear? But this is a good reminder, by the way, of someone in your life who says, oh, well, if only if God would show up here and give me this miracle, I'll believe in him and I'll do whatever he says. No, they probably won't. Because anybody who comes to God with conditions is always going to lead with conditions. Because these people here just saw one of the greatest miracles they probably were ever going to see. And the thing that was keeping them up at night is now not keeping them up at night anymore. Jesus brought healing. And their response was fear. Their response was, get away from us. Anyone who comes to God like that and says, oh, I'll be a different person, Lord, if only you show this. No. There's no way. There's no way you could truly believe that. And then when God does show up, you tell him to get out of here. Are you more like the town or more like the man? What about you needs to be louder? You see, this man... His whole life had changed. He got to have a life again. He wasn't the town outcast. He wasn't out there, the crazy dude that everyone laughed at and kept them at arm's length. He all of a sudden had a chance at a normal life again. 
he got his mind back. He wasn't possessed anymore. He, he was wearing clothes. It was in his, I mean, he was completely cured. And he got quiet. He had enough of the loud. He was quiet. He was literally like Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. He was still at the feet of Jesus. What about you needs to get louder? And what about you needs to get a bit more quiet? You see, I wonder if the ones who uh, really get their lives changed by God, when Jesus comes in and does an amazing work, I almost wonder if uh, they're just, their, their, their quiet spirit about them does just as much testifying as anything they could say. I think it's telling that the town got louder and the man got quieter. The man who was healed, his response was quietness, being still. We would expect him to be constantly kissing Jesus' feet and hugging him and, 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 and just constantly throwing himself at the ground and thank you, thank you, thank you. See, this is our, I'm bringing this up at Thanksgiving time because what is this man's response and how does it deal with Thanksgiving? What is it about your life that you are dealing with that you just can't have, you have no answer for and that you're, you're forced to trust God? We have no idea about this man's faith before Jesus comes around. All we know is he's tortured. Chains and scorn and, and, and issues and ick. And Jesus comes in and changes his life and provides for his, his greatest needs. And his response is just to be quiet. Just to be quiet before God. My dog likes to pace the house, but then all of a sudden when, when, everyone sit, when, when, when she knows where everybody is, she'll finally lay down and she gets quiet. To be quiet before God. God, I trust you, David. King David once said, I say, you are my God, Psalm 31. You are my God and my times are in your hands. Just to be still and quiet before Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done for me and I'm so thankful for you. I want to follow you. This guy's response is awesome. You see, there's two people, there are three, three different people begging Jesus here. You've got the demons begging Jesus, hey, don't torture us. And you've got uh, the town begging Jesus, get out of here, we can't take you anymore. And then th this man begs Jesus. He wanted to go with him. Could you imagine this guy? We've all seen those old westerns where they had the kind of snake oil salesman going from town to town and trying to sell things, and they plant these shills in the crowd. Oh, yeah, I bought a bottle of that last week, and, and boy, it healed everything. And look at that. And then the town goes, oh, wow, well, they helped this guy. Maybe it'll help me. This guy could have been like that. He could have been a walking, talking advertisement for Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, he could have had this guy. And this guy is just like, hi, here I am. I'm a new man. Look at what Jesus did for me. You see, that's not what Jesus wanted. He wanted him to be a missionary in residence. He literally tells him, no, return home and tell how much God has done for you. Now, there's comfort and there's terror in that phrase. The comfort is returning home. The terror is also returning home. How's this guy going to go back home? We, don't, we weren't told if he had a wife and kids or anything. We have no idea. All we know is that the people were terrified of this guy. That nobody ever wanted to come around this guy. Now all of a sudden this guy is back. He's completely different. You know, he's, he's, 
he's probably had a bath and he's got clothes on and he's not you know slobbering or whatever he was doing he's not trying to kill people or trying to break chains here he was a completely different guy but would people ever trust him again some of us when we turn to Jesus and Jesus grabs a hold of us and our families and our friendships they don't know what to do with us because they still see the old you they still see this old you that was the party animal the old you that was the the foul-mouthed you know jerk the old you that just was living for yourself all the time and God's telling this man told this man go home and testify I mean even if this guy went home and literally was quiet and lived a just a simple quiet life knowing where he had been traveling in the tombs and in his soul that would testify and people could eventually come up to him and go, hey, so what was that all about? Well, let me tell you about what Jesus did for me. You see, this, this Thanksgiving, you're going home, most likely. And or you're having, having your loved ones travel to you. And uh, when you see people, you know, at the holidays, we, we, nostalgia, you know, reigns supreme. We all think about the good old days. And for some of us, the good old days aren't that good. And they're filled with pain and they're filled with regret and they're filled with hurt. They're filled with shame, and maybe it's, I think it's a really good idea to be like this man at Thanksgiving, just to be still before Jesus, to have a quiet spirit, just to radiate hope. If Jesus can save this guy, he can save anyone else in that town. Return home and tell him what God has done for you. Let what Jesus has done for you do the talking. What about you needs to get louder? What about you needs to get more quiet? I think, it's, I think those are fair questions. How are you like this man? How is Jesus your answer? And in response, are you more like the man or more like the town? Hmm. It's a good story. I'm so glad God included it in his word. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. Thanks for listening to uh, this time uh, in God's word from Luke chapter 8. Have a happy Thanksgiving. And uh, you know, let me encourage you to uh, maybe start a new tradition in your Thanksgiving household to share what God has done, for, how God's been faithful, something you're thankful for. And... Um, I'll never forget, I'll close with this. I'll never forget one of my dearest friends in his mid-70s, and he said that he, he got all of his grandchildren together and, and uh, they had a Thanksgiving meal, and he said, everyone has to share what they're thankful for around the table. And he said, I, sh I asked him, I said, well, my goodness, what did you share? And he says, I am most thankful for the water cycle. I said, the water cycle? I said, what in the Sam Hill is the water cycle? And he said, well, the water cycle, the hydrologic cycle, the very idea that water, as it uh, rains, as it precipitation and condensation, all that kind of stuff, as the rains fall and the rains, you know, get evaporated back up and they condense and they fall again, he said he's most thankful for that God has given us water. And water really doesn't change in the sense that you don't really get more water or less water. Water is just water. And water goes different places on the earth and the water, you know, can just run off and there's soil erosion, that kind of stuff. And there's, you know, seas and, and lakes and all these things. And there's rain and clouds and evaporations. There's all these things, but water really just stays present. 
it's in various forms and it's in various ways, but it really doesn't go anywhere. And he's thankful for that God has kept us with water. And as the water cycle reminds us that God provides and that God continues to provide. And then he said, the same water that was around when Jesus was around, walking this earth, is around now. It's just in different forms and in different places on the planet, but it's all here. And that's what he's thankful for. Well, that's kind of an odd example. I appreciated, appreciated him telling me that. But what are you most thankful for? What was this man most thankful for? Imagine the conversations he was going to tell answers to the questions he was no doubt going to be asked as people kept their children on the other side of the street when he walked down the street as he longed for closeness with people yet again after all that time away those really hard conversations that were going to have to take place about this unique Jesus who came into his world and changed everything for the glory of God thanks for joining me today and happy Thanksgiving. God bless.